Welcome to the LA Public Health Podcast for Wednesday, September 9th, 2020. I'm Steve Baldwin, and today's show includes comments from LA County Board of Supervisors Chair Pro Tem Hilda Solis, followed by an update on COVID-19 led by Dr. Barbara Ferrer, Director of the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Thank you for listening, and to keep up with our department on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at LA Public Health. There's a lot to cover today, so let's get right to it, and we'll start with a welcome from Supervisor Solis. Thank you very much. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining today's press briefing. Just having observed Labor Day, I want to take a moment to express my gratitude to the essential workers in Los Angeles County. That includes those distributing food, our nurses, custodial staff, garment workers, homeless service providers, social workers, firefighters, and so many others who have dedicated themselves to their fellow residents. Your compassion and your service are the reasons why we are getting through this crisis. So although Labor Day may be behind us, let's continue demonstrating our gratitude to our essential workers each day. Let's protect them by staying safe ourselves. Please remember that contracting COVID-19 not only jeopardizes your health, but also those around you and especially the healthcare workers who will have to care for you. Many people can spread this virus unknowingly, which will put our essential workers at risk since they are on the front lines. In addition to COVID-19, climate change and fire risk is top of mind for so many of us. California is experiencing a seven-year drought. The drought coupled with extreme temperatures we have been experiencing is a recipe for large-scale fires. The number of wildland fires has been increasing each year and expanding with rapid growth. It is more important than ever for all community members who live in or near wildland areas to be prepared. The Ready, Set, Go program is a vital tool for you and your family to prepare your home, your family, your pets when a wildfire occurs and you are asked to evacuate. The Ready, Set, Go program can be found at fire.lacounty.gov. We owe our immense gratitude to our firefighters as they continue to battle fires threatening so much of our community. In addition to fire safety, I also want to remind residents that you can get tested for COVID-19 at any of the LA County testing sites. Although we've experienced periods of limited appointments, there is currently wide availability and we urge our residents who have been exposed or who are experiencing symptoms to please get tested. Just because we have again flattened the curve for COVID does not mean it is gone. As you will hear from Dr. Ferrer shortly, COVID-19 very much remains a real threat and getting tested is one way you can help us stop its spread. Please visit covid19.lacounty.gov testing or call 211 for an appointment. COVID-19 testing at our LA County testing sites is free, regardless of medical insurance and regardless of immigration status. Importantly, it is not considered a public charge. And this is true of the census, too. And regardless of immigration status, we all have the right to complete the census and be counted. The census is an important part of our civic duty, and it has become even more critical in light of the health pandemic. Many of our programs and services rely on an accurate and complete census count. That extends to funding in health and public health, which everyone can agree is of utmost importance. At this time, only 63% of LA County residents have participated in the census. 
This is below the participation rate from 2010, the last time we completed the census. And I want to underscore the concern. We only have a few weeks left to complete the census. Please complete the census at 2020census.gov. And for those that have already done so, I urge you to encourage someone you know to do the same. Thank you. And now I would like to introduce Dr. Barbara Ferrer. Uh, thank you so much, Supervisor Solis, and to the entire Board of Supervisors. Uh, we, as a collective community, have benefited a great deal from your thoughtful and steady leadership. And good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I want to share with you some updated information on the trends we're seeing with our cases, hospitalizations, and deaths. And I also want to update you on our equity dashboard indicators um, and then share a little bit of information on sort of a, what we're calling sort of the cautious steps we're taking as we move forward through our recovery. Um, it's our hope that uh, so many of you uh, were able to see the data uh, that we've been showing over our experiences after July 4th, uh, where we saw this huge increase in a couple of weeks in our cases, hospitalizations, and deaths, and you were able to take to heart the need for us to be much more cautious uh, this past holiday weekend. Uh, and I do want to thank everybody who was uh, super careful, uh, and especially those of you who honored our workforce by staying home as much as possible. And when you're out and around other people, you wore your face coverings and you kept your distance. Um, we're going to take a look at where we've been, and this will also help us understand what we're looking for uh, as we watch our data over the next few weeks uh, after another big holiday weekend, uh, because we'll have some lessons uh, that we'll be able to glean uh, from the data uh, that we see uh, within two to three weeks. But I'll see the first slide now. Um, so this is, again, a, a trend line that we've uh, shown all along. It shows you the seven-day average of the daily reported COVID-19 cases, and you can see, if you look at uh, what was going on around July 4th, we had about 2,000 cases a day uh, in the early part of July. Um, and our case numbers had already started increasing um, with some of the reopenings that happened uh, in the middle of June. But if you look at July 20th, which was a little uh, over two weeks past July 4th, you'll see that we saw some of our highest case numbers, and they sharply peaked at over 3,000 cases a day. Um, and as we noted, the incubation period for COVID-19 is 14 days. Um, so this increase that we saw uh, towards uh, the middle of July really was a reflection of activities that were happening and transmission that was happening over our July 4th holiday. Uh, since the middle of August, we've seen a steady decline in the number of daily new cases. And the good news is we're averaging now about 1,000 cases a day way better than uh, being up at about 3,000 cases. And if you look at the next slide, uh, this is, again, uh, sort of uh, goes along side by side with what we look at when we think about cases. Those are people who are going ahead and getting tested. We look at how many of the people who are getting tested have a positive test result. And you can see that uh, these are test positivity rates, and, and they were very high in April. Uh, that's really likely to be a reflection of the fact that we, A, did limited testing, and B, the testing was, in fact, constrained only to people who were sick uh, with symptoms of COVID-19. 
Uh, so we had very high positivity rate. Uh, and then you can see that our positivity rate uh, dropped throughout the, sp the spring, but climbed back up again uh, after uh, July 4th. Um, we've had a similar drop uh, after in August, and, and we're looking forward to hopefully uh, not seeing an increase in that positivity rate. We're down below 5% right now, um, which is uh, the lowest we've ever been and a place we'd, uh, we'd like to continue to see uh, us either hold steady or preferably uh, drop that positivity rate. The next slide, please. Uh, this is the, a trend line of the three-day average number of daily COVID-19 hospitalizations. And again, July saw our steepest and scariest increases in daily hospitalizations, where we averaged over 2,100 people were hospitalized each day. Our most significant peaks were two to three weeks after the July 4th holiday. Uh, this past month, again, similar to what we've seen on cases, our daily hospitalizations have dropped back to an average of under 1,000 hospitalizations a day. And this is very similar, as you can see on this table, uh, from the numbers that we saw uh, back in early April. We'll take the next slide, please. Um, as we, uh, as we uh, look and we acknowledge that we've seen a decrease in hospitalizations, uh, we know that there are three factors that are contributing to the decrease. The first is obvious. Uh, that we have less cases. And if we have less cases, we're going to have less people that are going to need to be hospitalized. Uh, the second is that there's a lot of better treatments uh, that are available, both with experience and with um, new therapeutics. Hospitals are able to do um, a different, they're able to do their uh, care differently now uh, with these new options. And it actually has helped uh, be able to uh, move people out of care in the hospital quicker. Um, and the last is that, as you can see from this very busy slide, uh, we actually have seen an increase in the proportion of cases that are among younger people. And in general, younger people are hospitalized for shorter periods of time uh, than those who are older. The people who are aged 30 through 49, uh, they're comprising the largest group of people who are hospitalized. Uh, second only, uh, the second largest group of people who are hospitalized. And they're second only to those who are aged 50 to 64. 35% of the people who are hospitalized each day are now under the age of 50. Uh, and that number has been growing, uh, as you can see from this slide. You've also seen a very steep decrease in the number of older people uh, that are, in fact, uh, requiring hospitalizations. Again, that reflects less cases amongst older people, but also uh, the fact that with those less cases and better ther therapeutics, they also are in the hospital uh, for much shorter periods of time than they may have been at the beginning of the pandemic. Next slide. This slide shows the, the trend line for the seven-day average of daily deaths. And tragically, 22 days after the July 4th holiday, we saw the number of deaths climb up and peak at 44 deaths uh, per day here in L.A. County. Uh, those early peaks that we had uh, back in April uh, and early May were really reflect the fact that we had a lot of deaths that were happening in our skilled nursing facilities. Unfortunately, uh, those deaths have dropped to a much uh, lower number. But we did see a peak uh, correlates with having more cases, uh, and that also happened after our July 4th holiday. Um, this, this graph also 
should remind all of us that our collective actions do have a life and death consequence. Celebrations, gatherings, being in large crowds, they're never intended to harm other people, but they sometimes do result in the transmission of COVID-19. And this in turn results in more infection once people return to their homes and or their workplaces. And again, these infections do result in people sometimes becoming very sick and even passing away. And while the number of deaths has dropped quite a lot, increases in cases and hospitalizations that may happen in the future will always be followed by increases in deaths. Uh, so there's still a lot on the line as we think about the work to do ahead of us. I also want to give you an update on highly impacted groups. These are groups that continue to suffer from a disproportionate number of cases, hospitalizations, and deaths. And I've presented over the last few weeks that these numbers for highly imp impacted groups are also decreasing overall, as is the case for the county. However, I do want to share with you today that the cumulative, that what the cumulative numbers look like so that you can see, as we do, that while there are some decreases, the disproportionality overall remains alarming. I'll take the next slide. Uh, this is a table that shows the total number of cases uh, by race and ethnicity groups per 100,000 people. So this is sort of a way to sort of allow us to compare between the groups. And while their numbers are small here, relatively small here in LA County, we're seeing very high rates of cases among Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander residents. Uh, their case rate is 3,474 cases per 100,000 people. Uh, and that's nearly double the rate of the Latinx residents, which is the group with the second highest case rate. Latinx residents, and that's a group that makes up a large proportion of our county, are also seeing case rates that are nearly three times that of white residents and, and, and more than three times that of our Asian residents with 1,846 cases per 100,000 people. And you can compare that to 635 cases per 100,000 white residents and 463 cases among our Asian residents. Black residents and American Indian Alaskan Native residents also continue to see case rates that are higher than those of our white and Asian uh, neighbors. The next slide. This also looks at hospitalization rates by race and ethnicity in LA County. And again, as you can see, Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islanders have rates of hospitalization that are almost five times the rate of hospitalization for white residents. Uh, and the numbers are relatively small here, so uh, the estimate could be somewhat unreliable. But coupled with the fact that we have such a dramatic uh, disproportionality around cases, we would also expect that to follow us uh, when we look at hospitalizations. Latino, Latina, Latinx residents have a hospitalization rate that's at 392 people per 100,000 residents, which is three times that of white residents. And black residents have a rate at 263 uh, hospitalizations per 100,000 people. That's more than double that for our white residents. Next slide. Um, when we look at data around people who have passed away for COVID-19, unfortunately, because of small numbers, we're only able to report on the four larger race and ethnicity uh, categories here. Uh, and we do see, again, 
uh, that uh, there's a fair amount of disproportionality. Uh, black residents have a mortality rate uh, at 61 deaths per 100,000 black residents. That's nearly twice the mortality rate for white residents, uh, and, uh, which is at 31 deaths per 100,000 people. And the mortality rates for our Latinx community, community also remains extraordinarily high at 85 deaths per 100,000 people. And this is nearly three times the rate of death for our white residents. Um, next slide. Um, and as we've mentioned at previous briefings, the data shows that lower resourced uh, communities in LA County uh, will have higher rates of cases and deaths. And that again is borne out here. This table shows case rates by area poverty. Uh, people in the highest income areas had a case rate of 1,410 uh, cases per 100,000 people. The people living in the areas with the fewest resources and higher rates of poverty had case rates at over twice that, at 3,500 cases per 100,000 people. I'll take the next slide. Uh, and the mortality rate by income level data is devastating. For people living in areas with the highest incomes, the death rate is 28 people per 100,000 residents. And for those living in areas with the lowest incomes, highest rates of poverty, the rate is over four times higher at 113 deaths per 100,000 people. And I want to note that it's very easy to look at this data and immediately go to blaming the people who have the highest rates. But evidence that we have suggests that that would be inappropriate and just wrong. Racism and the accompanying inequitable access to the resources have played a significant role in who is hurt the most by this pandemic, as it does in all other areas of health. That's why a wide range of actions is needed to address the inequities we continue to witness. These include ensuring protections for workers, especially low-wage workers, offering services and support to those needing to isolate and quarantine, making sure testing is widely available in under-resourced areas, partnering with trusted community organizations for advocacy and information sharing, and addressing discrimination and racism that limits opportunities and resources that ought to be available to everyone for optimal health and well-being. And I want to uh, sort of segue to uh, understanding that both the disproportionality that we're seeing um, means that uh, we need to redouble our efforts to make sure the resources that are needed to fight this pandemic are actually going to those uh, who have been hardest hit. And in thinking about, you know, how we do that work here, I think it's also appropriate to talk a little bit about our cautious steps forward uh, as we enter into the fall season. So I'll take the next slide. I'm going to start talking about schools because I, I get a lot of questions and I, I know that, that people have a lot of concerns. Uh, if schools open, are they going to be able to do so safely? And uh, when schools are not opening, how much hardship uh, is, is happening and what's going on uh, to support families who need support uh, during the day while they're at work. Uh, but I want to start by just talking about the process for reopening schools uh, for specialized, uh, for special services. So as we announced last week, uh, the governor has an opportunity uh, for all counties, regardless of what tier you're in, to reopen all schools uh, for special services for high-risk, high-need students. Um, here in L.A. County, this includes students with individualized 
education plans, English language learners, uh, other students that need assessments and support that can't be provided through virtual learning. All schools are eligible to bring back students who have special needs that need to be met uh, by coming into school for services. Um, but in order to reopen for, their, for special services for students, schools do need to send a notification form to the Department of Public Health. This form is online on our website. It's a fillable PDF form. It asks for some basic information that helps us then provide services and support to every school that is planning on bringing back students uh, for a set of services. It does require that the schools attest uh, to meeting three requirements. First, they need to have an adequate supply of PPE to uh, be able to adhere to both the state and the Department of Public Health guidance on offering protections to everybody who is going to be in the building. Second is schools need to have a plan or a protocol in place for surveillance testing and follow-up testing should there be an outbreak at the school and they need to be able to work with the Department of Public Health on managing cases and outbreaks. And finally, schools must attest that they will be in compliance with the DPH school reopening checklist, uh, which is also posted on our website. Uh, that's a checklist that tells schools how to offer as much safety as possible as students, teachers, and staff uh, are returning to their buildings. Once this form is complete, it should be submitted by the school administrator, administrator to the DPH email that's on the form at least five days before the school plans to reopen. We'll review it for completeness. Somebody will get in touch with the school if we're missing some information. The school does not need to wait for our approval to reopen as long as they're adhering to the required uh, directives and attestations um, that they are being uh, asked to do by both us and the state. A DPH is always going to be available for technical assistance and support to all schools that are reopening. Uh, and we look forward to maintaining a close partnership as more students are able to return to their classrooms. We'll also be doing a significant evaluation of, uh, of uh, our efforts to bring students back uh, to their schools for in-person support. Uh, it's an important opportunity for all of us um, to really make sure that we're doing everything right uh, in our buildings to protect um, staff, teachers, students, and their families um, so that they can be safe as they're receiving essential services. And I'll take the next slide. Um, and just as a reminder, uh, I do want to reinforce the need for us to remain cautious uh, as we go about uh, all of our business uh, during the day and the evening, remembering uh, that we can be positive and infect others at any point in time, and others can infect us and the people we love as any, at any point in, in time. But I do want to note that there's a lot of things that are open. There are some things that are open for only outdoor operations, and that because we are still a county with a widespread transmission, there are many sectors that remain closed. Um, so, so we have been, I think, extraordinarily successful in the month of August uh, to bring down our community transmission rates, uh, and we prevented a catastrophic level of demand on our health care system. We were successful in large part because people and business owners and operators 
uh, followed what we know are the best public health practices. Uh, many people avoided gatherings. They avoided uh, being with uh, people who weren't wearing their face coverings. Uh, businesses moved services outdoors. Um, and we've been diligent about washing our hands. We do have tools handy right now that allow us to continue to slow the spread. Um, and that's what we're doing every place that we saw transmission rates fall. But I want to note that every time we have seen transmission rates fall, uh, our natural response is to let up and want to return to greater normalcy. This will be especially true as we're returning to the, as we're going into the fall and winter months uh, when we have a number of important religious and secular holidays. But unfortunately, what we have learned over the last seven months is that we cannot return to normal at this time. We actually need to maintain even more our, our vigilance so that we can continue to suppress the spread of the virus and get to a place where we can safely reopen additional sectors, particularly our schools. Um, so we do ask that people begin to think ahead about how they're gonna navigate the fall and the winter carefully. And this includes planning for the upcoming Halloween. For this year, it's just simply not safe to celebrate in the ways that we usually do. We're recommending that trick-or-treating trick or not happen this year, and that gatherings, events, parties, carnivals, festivals, haunted house attractions, these are already prohibited under the health officer order and should not be part of our Halloween celebrations. We know that together we can find lots of ways to celebrate that are safe for children and families. Host an online party, decorate your home, decorate your yard. There are Halloween activities that are being sponsored by others that are safe, uh, including car parades, drive-in movie nights. And um, we have detailed guidance on our website, publichealth.lacounty.gov. Uh, We're asking a lot of each other as we learn how to live through a pandemic, being prepared, being flexible, and constantly figuring out new ways to stay connected and have fun is our reality. We're still a county, as I noted, with a lot of community transmission, and it's resulted in heartbreaking deaths for over 6,000 people. Tens of thousands of residents are struggling to recover from serious COVID-19-related illness, and there have been economic disasters for hundreds and thousands of residents. The only way things get better is if we slow the spread of COVID-19 with the tools we have currently at hand. This responsibility lies with all of us. And if we work collectively, we have shown that we have the ability to make great progress. Now, I wanna quickly update you on our current status. Uh, we're sad to report an additional 61 deaths today. 22 of the people who passed away are over the age of 80, and 15 people who passed away had underlying health conditions. 13 of the people who died are between the ages of 65 and 79, and 10 people who passed away had underlying health conditions in this age group. 23 people who died are between the ages of 50 and 64, and 19 people in this age group had underlying health conditions. Three people who died were between the ages of 30 and 49, and two people in this age group had underlying health conditions. That does bring the total number of deaths in LA County to 6,090 people who lost their lives to COVID-19. Our hearts go out to everyone who's lost a friend or a loved one to COVID-19, and we wish you healing and peace. 92% of the people who have passed away from COVID-19 
had underlying health conditions. That number has remained constant. For the 5,728 people who passed away where race ethnicity has been identified, 51% are Latinx, 23% are white, 15% are Asian, 10% are black, slightly less than 1% are Native Hawaiian or Pacific Islander, and 1% identified with another race or ethnicity. We're reporting 671 new cases today. The last three days, we've seen unusually low numbers of new cases. This is due to the holiday reporting lag and to the fact that many testing sites were closed uh, due to the extreme heat. This does bring the total number of cases in LA County to 249,859. These cases do include 10,957 cases reported by our partners in the city of Long Beach and 2,443 cases reported by the city of Pasadena. Um, among our total cases, we're reporting 1,656 confirmed cases amongst people experiencing homelessness. There are currently 936 people with confirmed cases that are hospitalized. 33% of the people who are hospitalized are in the ICU, and 18% are on ventilators. We've investigated a total of 1,707 residential congregate settings and non-residential settings with at least one confirmed case of COVID-19. Currently, we have 827 ongoing investigations, and we've closed 880 investigations. The total confirmed cases in our institutional settings is 33,220. This includes both staff and residents. 16,821 of the confirmed cases are among residents, and 16,399 are among staff. I am sad to report that 2,705 residents in institutional settings passed away from COVID-19, and 2,442 of the people who passed away uh, and lived in institutional settings were residing in our skilled nursing facilities. Of the 61 reported deaths today, nine were people who died and were living in our skilled nursing facilities. And to all who are grieving, we extend our deepest condolences. We're reporting 3,609 confirmed cases at some point in jail facilities, 3,199 among people who are incarcerated and 410 among staff. Uh, there are 251 cases in the state prison, 190 among people who are incarcerated, and 61 among staff. There are 758 cases in the federal prison facilities, 742 among people who are incarcerated, and 16 among staff. And there are 145 cases in the juvenile facilities, 62 among youth, and 83 among staff. Almost 2.4 million people have been tested in LA County and had their results reported to the LA County Department of Public Health, and 10% were positive. I wanna, in closing, just acknowledge how much we depend on all of you, our businesses, our institutions, and our residents uh, to get us through this pandemic. Preventing infections that result in people becoming seriously ill and perhaps dying is something every resident and business in LA County must help us by taking some responsibility. I, I do wanna also note um, that uh, if you were potentially exposed to COVID-19 over the holiday weekend, I'm encouraging you to get tested. For example, if you were in a super crowded area this weekend, 
and people near you were not wearing their face coverings, and you were not wearing your face covering, you should get tested. If you were around someone who was feeling sick, you should get tested. And if you were with somebody who's tested positive for the virus, even if they never felt sick, you should be getting tested. Testing sites are open and appointments are available. And while you're waiting for your results, it's important to note that you need to quarantine. Stay home and stay away from other people, especially from people who are at great risk of becoming seriously ill from COVID-19. Thank you, and now we'll take your questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you wish to ask a question, please press 1 and then 0 on your telephone keypad. You may withdraw your question at any time by repeating the 1-0 command. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up the handset before pressing the numbers. Once again, if you have a question, please press 1 and then 0 at this time. And first, we'll go to the line of Christine Lazar with CBS2. Please go ahead. Hi there. So you've put out your guidelines for Halloween, but what about enforcement? Will the county be enforcing this? Will there be ramifications if people do go out and trick-or-treat or do gather in large groups or have festivals, things like that? Dr. Ferrer. Yes. Thanks so much. Uh, I appreciate the question. Um, I also want to note that uh, our guidelines have been slightly revised, uh, so we'd ask that people go back and, and look at them to distinguish between uh, those activities that are not permitted by the health officer order. That includes events, gatherings, parties. Those are just not allowed. They're not allowed for anything, not for birthdays. Uh, if you're The only activities that, that you can have a party or a gathering for are with those people that are in your household. Um, Trick-or-treating, we're highly recommending that uh, it not happen. Uh, we don't think uh, it's an appropriate activity during a pandemic. Uh, you know, we've always uh, really relied on sensible uh, actions taken by the majority of people who live in our communities. Um, you know, there, there's no guarantee uh, when you go trick-or-treating that your child uh, goes up to a house where the person who opens the door is wearing a face covering. And when you don't know the people opening the door, there's no guarantee that they're not sick uh, and that the candy that they're passing out that they've touched uh, may not be safe uh, for, you to be sh for, for you to want your child uh, to be sharing. So, so we're, the, these for us are very sensible steps that we're asking people to take. Some activities are not prohibited under the health officer order. Other activities we think don't make sense uh, during a pandemic because they increase risk particularly for children. Uh, so I urge people to go to our, our website, uh, look at what the recommendations are. We do offer lots of activities that people can do uh, that offer a fair amount of safety uh, because we think it's important that we find ways to celebrate not just Halloween, but all of the holidays uh, that really enrich our lives. But during a pandemic, uh, our ways of celebrating do need to change. I'll take the next question. Thank you. Next, we'll go to Ryan Carter with LA Daily News. Please go ahead. Uh, yes, thank you. Um, so, Doctor, uh, just uh, on that same uh, um, theme, assuming we stay on the trajectory we're, we're on um, and we get to a lower tier even by, say, Thanksgiving and ultimately Christmas, um, are there – do you foresee um, similar um, guidance and directives uh, on those holidays, uh, um, similarly to what you've done 
what you've suggested today regarding um, uh, trick-or-treat. Thanks a million. A great question. And, you know, we are going to always be driven uh, by the data that we have in front of us and by the science that we have in front of us. So the science continues to remind us that this is a virus that's easily transmitted uh, and that uh, we always uh, will need to uh, implement uh, some of our basic infection control and distancing measures until uh, we've had large numbers of people vaccinated or we have that sort of test you can take every day or we have extraordinarily good therapeutics uh, that really minimize illness uh, and, uh, and really uh, completely uh, try to eliminate death. Um, in the absence of that, I think we're always going to be recommending uh, as public health practitioners uh, that people be very careful uh, around gatherings uh, and activities that they're having with people who are not in their household. Uh, that's particularly true as more and more of us go back to work and more and more of our children get back to school. Because all we're doing as we do what I consider the more essential activities, working, education, is we're increasing the number of people we're going to be in contact with on any given day. So this would really be the time to think twice about whether you want to add to that increase that we already have, trying to do what are more essential activities, um, the increase that you would have on exposures that come with less essential activities. Uh, but I'm hopeful that by Thanksgiving and by Christmas, community transmission rates are way, way down, because if they are, there's just a lot less virus uh, that will be circulating, and that just means there'll be a lot less exposure. But appreciate your question. We'll always watch the data. But as public health folks, uh, we know we have some tools right now. They make it a lot harder uh, for us to transmit to each other this virus, and we're going to continue to recommend that everybody use the tools we have to really prevent any unnecessary transmission of COVID-19. I'll take the next question. Thank you. Next, we'll go to Claudia Prosciutto with KNX News Radio. Please go ahead. Hi. Um, I wanted to get the homeless dust for today. And also, if we could start getting that on a regular basis as part of the updates, I'd appreciate that. And while COVID cases and dust among homeless people have, uh, the reported ones, have been relatively low, we know that homeless deaths are up 30% uh, through August compared to the same period last year. So, um, you know, I'm wondering if you have any concerns about whether uh, COVID cases and deaths among the homeless are being missed or if, if, if you're looking into what else might be driving this. Um, also, um, it, do you have the number of schools in which districts have notified public health that they plan to reopen for students with special needs on Monday? And, and if we could start getting daily cases per 100,000, since that's one of the metrics the state is using to decide when counties can proceed with reopening. Thank you. Thanks, Claudia. I'll, I'll see. I, hopefully I, I took good notes. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I think um, we've been issuing a weekly report around the experiences of people uh, who are experiencing homelessness and um, probably will continue to do that on a weekly basis. Uh, but I, uh, I can look at making sure that we're posting that information um, on our website. So that might be easier than us uh, making sure that we include those updates um, at every one of, of our presentations. And again, note, you know, we missed Monday this week, but we do try to talk about our vulnerable populations and their experiences with COVID-19. 
uh, and we are just like uh, you are. Uh, we're very concerned about seeing the 30% increase overall in um, people experiencing homelessness who have passed away uh, this year. We're working really hard with both the coroner and our team to see if we can understand what factors may be contributing to that. Um, I will note that, um, and, and I think Dr. Galley may, may be able to talk to this as well, is one of our concerns with this pandemic is that people are foregoing their usual care um, for other ailments and that that's resulting in higher mortality rates uh, for non-COVID illnesses as people aren't seeking uh, their usual care. Uh, that, that absolutely, in this case, is essential care. Um, I also, um, you know, so we'll be looking into that. We're obviously working very closely to try to understand what might be driving uh, some of those rates. As you know, every year we do try to look at a year's worth of data and better understand what are the experiences of people uh, who are homeless uh, in terms of their morbidity and mortality. Um, and then in terms of what districts are open, um, I, don't, I don't know that we've received anybody's application yet. Uh, but again, uh, we will be posting every week information on schools that have uh, told, let us know that they're reopening. Um, so uh, we're happy to make that information public. Um, I don't know, Dr. Galley, if you wanted to. No, um, I, I think we're, you know, I, I think we're all in agreement that, you know, we're studying this. But we do think in other places we've seen some mortality rates go up as well. And, uh, and uh, I want to urge everyone, you know, our, our clinics are open, our hospitals are open, our emergency rooms are open. They take extraordinarily good care of everyone, uh, and they have all of the safety measures in place uh, to prevent transmission of COVID-19. So I urge people not to delay care, uh, not to delay getting your vaccinations, not to delay seeking emergency treatment uh, if you're really sick. And with that, we have time for one more question. Thank you. We'll go to the line of Colleen Shelby with LA Times. Please go ahead. Hi, thanks for taking my question. Um, I'm just wondering, since LA County is on the state's most strictest tier, if there is any surge of cases in a couple weeks related to Labor Day, as there was around the 4th of July, if the county would take any steps at that point to kind of further close sectors that have been reopened. Yeah, thanks so much, um, and appreciate the question and the concern. Um, you know, I, I'm going to be optimistically hopeful. Uh, we have worked so hard, and that means we collectively, you, have worked so hard to drive down our rates. I mean, uh, we had a lot of, uh, of really, really sad days in July, uh, and I know that none of us want to go back there. Uh, and, in fact, we did take some steps backward in our reopening plans because our rates got way too high. Uh, and we were fearful of overwhelming our healthcare system. Um, and as I've said before, you know, every, every decision we make is driven by uh, this need for us to try to protect um, all of us and to make sure that our healthcare system does not get overwhelmed. I'm, I'm cautiously hopeful that uh, we're not going to have a repeat, uh, but we're going to watch the data. And, uh, and again, should our case rates start going up exponentially, uh, should we start seeing this huge increase in people needing to be uh, cared for at the hospitals? Um, and should we again uh, see, unfortunately, uh, that increase in deaths? We will need to take some actions. So, uh, you know, all of this is really dependent on us doing our best job every single day to drive down the transmission of a deadly virus. So thank you very much, everyone. And now we'll have remarks in Spanish from Supervisor Solis. Buenas tardes. 
y gracias por estar hoy día con nosotros en esta conferencia de prensa. Esta semana, el lunes, celebramos el Día de Trabajo. Quiero tomar un momento para dar las gracias a cada trabajador esencial en el Condado de Los Ángeles. Eso incluye a los que repartan comida, nuestras enfermeras, trabajadores de limpieza y los que ayudan a los desamparados, trabajadores sociales, bomberos y tantos otros que han dedicado a apoyar a nuestras comunidades. Su compasión y su servicio son las razones por las que estamos superando esta crisis. Así que, aunque ya observamos el día de trabajo este fin de semana, seguimos demostrado, demostrando nuestra gratitud y nuestros trabajadores esenciales cada día. Tenemos que recordar que cuando nos protegemos a nosotros mismos, protegemos a nuestros trabajadores esenciales. Por favor, recuerda que cuando tiene el virus, no solo están exponiendo a los que lo rodea, sino que también están exponiendo a los trabajadores de salud quienes les van a cuidar. Mucha gente puede transmitir este virus sin saberlo, poniendo en peligro a nuestros trabajadores esenciales. Además de COVID-19, para muchos el cambio climático es el riesgo de fuegos y nos preocupa. Por estos últimos siete años, California ha estado en medio de una sequía. La sequía, junto con las temperaturas extremas que tenemos, es una receta para incendios. El número de incendios en los bosques ha subido cada año. Y es importante que personas en áreas cercanas de bosques estén preparados. El programa Ready, Set, Go les ayudará a preparar para cuando necesitan evacuar por causa de un incendio cerca de su casa. El programa Ready, Set, Go se puede encontrar en fire.lacounty.gov. Doy las gracias a nuestros bomberos, quienes están luchando contra los incendios que amenazan nuestras comunidades. También quiero recordarles que pueden hacer hacerse la prueba de COVID-19 en cualquier de los centros de prueba del Condado de Los Ángeles. Aunque hemos tenido citas limitadas actualmente, hoy hay más oportunidades para hacer la prueba. Yo pido que todos los que han estado expuestos al virus, que los que muestran síntomas, por favor, hagan la prueba. COVID-19 sigue siendo una amenaza muy real, a pesar de que hemos ha planeado la curva. Como escucharán de la doctora Ferrer, el virus sigue siendo una amenaza y hacerse la prueba es una forma de ayudarnos y a detener el virus. Por favor, llamen a 211 para una cita. Las pruebas de COVID-19 en nuestros centros de pruebas del Condado de Los Ángeles son gratis. No importa su estatus migratoria ni si no tienen seguro médico. Y lo más importante, no se considera una carga pública. Eso también es cierto para el censo. Su estatus migratoria no importa. Todos tenemos que com completar y, y llenar el censo para ser con contados. El censo es importante y se va a vueltar un más crítico a la luz de esta pandemia. 
Muchos de nuestros programas y servicios dependen de un censo preciso y completo. Nuestros servicios de atención médica necesitan fondos federales. Todos estamos del acuerdo que esto es una prioridad. En este momento, solo el 73% de los residentes del condado de Los Ángeles han participado en el censo. Esta es una tasa de participación baja de 2010, la última vez que com completamos el censo. Quiero enfatizar que solo nos quedan unas pocas semanas para completar el censo. Por favor, completen el censo en la página web de 2020census.gov. Y para aquellos que ya han, lo, ya han cumplido, les pido que por favor animen a alguien que conocen para también cumplir el censo. Muchas gracias y con eso ahora les presento a Jacqueline Valenzuela. Buenas tardes. Gracias por acompañarnos hoy. Eh, queremos compartir información actualizada sobre nuestros datos de casos, hospitalizaciones y fallecimientos. Eh, también daremos un reporte acerca de los indicadores de nuestro tablero de equidad, además de compartir información sobre nuestra reapertura cautelosa. Tenemos esperanza que muchos residentes de nuestro condado de Los Ángeles vieron nuestra experiencia durante el 4 de julio, donde vimos un gran aumento en los casos, hospitalizaciones y fallecimientos y el cierre de algunos negocios y que por tal motivo eh, fueron eh, mucho más cautelosos en la celebración de la semana del día, fin de semana del día del trabajo. Queremos agradecer a todos los que tomaron precauciones y celebraron eh, nuestra fuerza laboral a, al quedarse en casa durante el fin de semana y cuando estaban fuera y alrededor de otras personas mantuvieron su distancia física y usaron su cubierta para la cara. Ahora hay que ver dónde estuvimos y qué estaremos observando durante las próximas semanas para ver qué impacto tuvo el fin de semana eh, festivo en la transmisión del virus en nuestras comunidades. Uh, first slide, please. Esta línea muestra el promedio de siete días de casos de COVID-19 reportados diariamente. Como pueden ver, alrededor del 4 de julio hubieron aproximadamente 2,000 casos por día. Es importante tener en cuenta que nuestro número de casos ya estaba aumentando después de reabrir muchos negocios, incluidos restaurantes para comer adentro y gimnasios a mediados de junio. Sin embargo, el 20 de julio, un poco más de dos semanas después del 4 de julio, vimos algunos de nuestros números de casos más altos. Más de tres, eh, vimos más de 3,100. Como mencionamos, el periodo de incubación de COVID-19 eh, puede ser de hasta de dos semanas, por lo que este aumento probablemente refleja la transmisión del virus durante el feriado de 4 de julio. Desde mediados de agosto, hemos visto una disminución constante en el número de nuevos casos. Eh, y la buena noticia es que ahora vemos un promedio de mil casos por día. Next slide, please. Esta línea muestra el promedio de siete días de la tasa de positividad de pruebas de COVID-19. 
Las altas tasas de positividad iniciales en abril reflejan que las pruebas fueron limitadas a personas que estaban enfermas. La tasa, baja, eh, la tasa bajó durante la primavera y luego volvió a subir, subir al 8.5% a principios de julio. Agosto, sin embargo, ha visto una caída similar en las tasas de positividad de la prueba, como vimos en los casos, donde la tasa de positividad de la prueba es de alrededor del 5%. Next slide, please. Esta línea es el promedio de tres días de hospitalizaciones diarias por COVID-19. En julio vimos nuestros aumentos más pronunciados y aterradores en las hospitalizaciones, donde promediamos más de 2,100 hospitalizaciones por día. Nuestros aumentos altos y más significativos eh, fueron de dos a tres semanas después del 4 de julio. Sin embargo, el mes pasado, las hospitalizaciones diarias se redujeron a un promedio de menos de, cien, perdón, de menos de mil hospitalizaciones al día, similar a las cifras de principios de abril. Next slide, please. Las hospitalizaciones diarias han disminuido, lo que refleja mejoras en los tratamientos y como puede ver en esta gráfica, un aumento en hospitalizaciones entre los jóvenes y una disminución en las hospitalizaciones entre las personas mayores. En este gráfico, la línea María representa la proporción de hospitalizaciones diarias entre personas de 18 a 29 años. Y la línea verde representa la proporción de hospitalizaciones entre personas de 30 a 49 años. Las personas de 30 a 49 años constituyen el segundo grupo más grande uh, de personas hospitalizadas, solo superadas por las personas de 50 a 64 años. El 35% de las personas hospitalizadas cada día uh, son menores de 50 años. Next slide, please. Esta línea muestra el promedio de siete días eh, de fallecimientos diarios. Y lamentablemente, 22 días después del feriado del 4 de julio, vimos que el número de fallecimientos volvía a subir y alcanzaba un aumento de 44 muertes por día. Estos gráficos eh, demuestran cómo nuestras acciones colectivas tienen consecuencias eh, de vida o muerte. Las celebraciones, reuniones, eh, estar en grandes multitudes, nunca tienen la intención de dañar a otras personas pero a veces resultan en la transmisión de COVID-19, que a su vez provoca más infecciones eh, una vez que las personas regresan a sus hogares o lugares de empleo. Y esto a veces hace que las personas se enfermen gravemente e incluso mueran. Y si bien el número de fallecimientos ha disminuido eh, bastante hacia los en este momento, los aumentos de casos y hospitalizaciones siempre van seguidos por aumentos eh, en fallecimientos. Es como un efecto dominó y hay tanto un juego en este momento. Ahora también nos gustaría proveer una actualización sobre los grupos más afectados, grupos que continúan sufriendo eh, un número desproporcionado de casos, hospitalizaciones y fallecimientos. Next slide, please. 
Esta tabla muestra el número, de, el número total de casos por raza y etnicidad por cada 100,000 personas. Si bien su número es pequeño aquí en el condado de Los Ángeles, estamos viendo tasas muy altas de casos entre los residentes nativos de Hawái o de las Islas del Pacífico. Con 3,474 casos por cada 100,000 personas, están viendo tasas de casos que son casi el doble que las de los residentes latinos, el grupo con la segunda tasa de casos más alta. Los residentes latinos, uh, un grupo que constituye una gran parte de nuestro condado, están viendo tasas de casos que son casi tres veces mayores que la, las de los residentes blancos, con 1,846 casos por cada 100,000 personas, en comparación con 635 casos por cada 100,000 residentes blancos. Y los residentes afroamericanos y los residentes indígenas estadounidenses y nativos de Alaska continúan viendo tasas de casos más altas que las de los residentes blancos y asiáticos. Next slide, please. Esto muestra las tasas de hospitalización por raza y etnicidad en el condado de Los Ángeles. Eh, como puede ver, personas de las Islas del Pacífico tienen una tasa de hospitalización que es casi cinco veces mayor que la de los residentes blancos, aunque debido a los números, a, aunque debido a que los números son pequeños, esta estimación no es confiable. Los residentes eh, latinos tienen una tasa de hospitalización de 392 personas por cada 100,000 personas que es más de tres veces la de los residentes blancos. Y los residentes afroamericanos tienen una tasa de 263 por cada 100,000 habitantes, eh, que es más del doble que la de los residentes blancos. Next slide, please. Para los datos sobre las personas que han fallecido a causa de COVID-19, eh, solo podemos informar sobre las cuatro categorías más grandes de raza y etnicidad pero vemos que los residentes afroamericanos tienen una tasa de mortalidad 61 muertes por cada 100,000 personas, que es casi el doble de los residentes blancos, eh, 31 fallecimientos por cada 100,000 habitantes. Y la tasa de mortalidad entre los residentes latinos es de 85 por cada 100,000 personas, casi tres veces la de los residentes blancos. Next slide, please. Como hemos mencionado antes, eh, los datos muestran que cuanto menos recursos tiene un área de Los Ángeles, eh, más altas son las tasas de casos y fallecimientos. Esta tabla muestra las tasas de casos por área de pobreza, mientras que las personas en las áreas de mayores ingresos tienen una tasa de casos de 1,410 por cada 100,000 personas. Las personas que viven en las áreas con menos recursos eh, tienen tasas de casos de más del doble, en más de 3,500 casos por cada 100,000 personas. Next slide, please. Los datos sobre la tasa de mortalidad por nivel de ingresos son devastadores. Para las personas que viven en áreas con los ingresos más altos, la tasa de mortalidad es de 28 personas por cada 100,000. Y para quienes viven en áreas con ingresos más bajos, la tasa es más de cuatro veces mayor, 
eh, con 113 fallecimientos por cada 100,000 personas. El racismo y la desigualdad a los recursos lamentablemente han jugado un papel importante en la pandemia, al igual que en otras áreas de la salud. Por lo tanto, eh, se necesitan diversas acciones para abordar las desigualdades que seguimos eh, presenciando. Estos incluyen garantizar protecciones eh, para los trabajadores, especialmente para los trabajadores con salarios bajos, ofrecer servicios y apoyo a quienes necesitan eh, aislarse y ponerse en cuarentena, asegurarse de que las pruebas estén ampliamente disponibles en áreas de escasos recursos, asociarse con uh, organizaciones eh, comunitarias de confianza uh, para la promoción y el intercambio de información y abordar la discriminación y el racismo uh, que limita las oportunidades y los, uh, la, la disponibilidad de recursos. A continuación, también nos gustaría brindar una breve actualización sobre el proceso de reapertura de escuelas para servicios especiales y hablar un poco sobre la necesidad de ser cautelosos en nuestra reapertura. Next slide, please. Como anunciamos la semana pasada, el condado tiene un plan para permitir la reapertura de las escuelas del kinder al 12 grado para servicios especiales en persona uh, para estudiantes de alta necesidad. Esto incluye a los estu estudiantes con planes de educación uh, individualizados y a los estudiantes que aprenden inglés, así como a otros estudiantes que pueden necesitar evaluaciones y apoyo que no se pueden brindar mediante al aprendizaje virtual. Este gráfico detalla el proceso que debe seguir una escuela uh, para avanzar con esta reapertura limitada. Para reabrir para servicios especiales, pedimos que las escuelas envíen un formulario de notificación al Departamento de Salud Pública. El formulario está disponible en nuestro sitio web y uh, incluye información básica como el nombre de la escuela, el nombre de uh, estudiantes que se, que se anticipan y personal que van a regresar a la escuela por grado y un contacto para la escuela. También requiere que la escuela certifique haber cumplido con tres requisitos. Primero, que tienen el equipo de protección personal adecuado para cumplir con las pautas del Departamento de Salud Pública y del Estado. Eh, segundo, que tienen un plan o protocolo para las pruebas de vigilancia y las pruebas de seguimiento si hay un brote en la escuela y, uh, y que se va a notificar al Departamento de Salud Pública um, las, las pruebas positivas. Y finalmente, las escuelas deben certificar de que cumplirán con la lista de verificación uh, de reapertura del Departamento de Salud Pública, que también está publicada en nuestro sitio web. Eh, una vez que el formulario esté completo, el administrador de la escuela debe enviarlo por correo electrónico al Departamento de Salud Pública al menos de cinco días antes de que la escuela planee reabrir. 
el formulario será revisado por el Departamento de Salud Pública para verificar que esté completo y un miembro del personal se comunicará con el contacto de la escuela. La escuela no necesita esperar que el departamento apruebe uh, el plan antes de reabrir, pero no debe dudar en comunicarse si necesita ayuda. El Departamento de Salud Pública permanecerá disponible para asistencia técnica y apoyo a medida que las escuelas vuelvan a reabrir y esperamos mantener una colaboración cercana uh, a medida que más estudiantes puedan regresar a sus aulas. Esta será una oportunidad importante para que un número limitado de estudiantes regrese para recibir apoyo en persona en sus escuelas y al mismo tiempo garantizar que las escuelas se adhieran a todas las directivas uh, emitidas para mantenernos a todos seguros. Next slide, please. Eh, por último, nos gustaría reforzar la necesidad de seguir siendo cautelosos a medida que reabrimos. Este gráfico muestra lo que está abierto en el condado de Los Ángeles ahora y qué sectores permanecen cerrados. Hemos logrado un progreso tremendo como condado desde mediados de julio para reducir las tasas de transmisión de nuestra comunidad y prevenir un nivel catastrófico de demanda en nuestro sistema de atención médica. Hemos tenido éxito en gran parte porque la gente ha estado siguiendo lo que sabemos que son los, las mejores prácticas de salud pública que tenemos. Hemos evitado las reuniones y trasladado muchos servicios al aire libre. Hemos estado usando las cubiertas uh, para la cara cuando estamos en contacto con otras personas y hemos sido cautelosos en lavarnos las manos. Cuando vemos caer las tasas de transmisión, eh, la respuesta natural es ceder y querer una mayor vuelta a, a la normalidad. Esto será especialmente cierto cuando volvamos a los meses de otoño y invierno, cuando tenemos una serie, eh, perdón, una serie de importantes feriados religiosos. Y desafortunadamente, lo que hemos aprendido de los últimos meses es de que eh, no podemos volver a la normalidad uh, en este momento. Y debemos mantener nuestra vigilancia para poder continuar frenando la propagación del virus y llegar a un lugar en que podamos reabrir de manera segura a sectores adicionales, especialmente en nuestras escuelas. Por lo tanto, les pedimos a todos que comiencen a pensar en el futuro sobre, sobre cómo tener un otoño e invierno cautelosos. ¿Cómo contribuye a asegurarse de que los niños puedan regresar a la escuela de manera segura? ¿Y cómo planeamos una celebración navideña, por ejemplo, más segura? Eso incluye nuestro próximo Halloween. Para este año, simplemente no es seguro para nosotros celebrar de la forma que lo hacemos habitualmente. Recomendamos que las fiestas de Halloween, el famoso uh, trick or treat en inglés, eh, no ocurra este año. Las reuniones, eventos, fiestas, carnavales, festivales, uh, atracciones de casas embrujadas eh, no son permitidas bajo la orden del oficial de salud. Busquemos formas de celebrar que sean seguras para los niños y las familias. Organice una fiesta en línea y decore su casa o jardín. 
Hay algunas actividades eh, relacionadas con Halloween que son más seguras, incluidos, eh, incluidos los desfiles de autos y las noches de autocine. Hay una guía detallada en nuestro sitio web. Y ahora nos eh, gustaría darles eh, nuestro reporte del día de hoy. Nos da tristeza informar 61 fallecimientos más. Esto eleva el número total de fallecimientos a 6,090 en el condado de Los Ángeles. El 92% de las personas que han fallecido por COVID-19 tenían problemas delicados de salud. De las 5,728 personas que han fallecido donde se identificó la raza etnicidad, el 51% son latinos, el 23% son blancos, el 15% son asiáticos, el 10% son afroamericanos, menos de un por ciento son nativos de Hawái o de las islas del Pacífico, y un por ciento se, se identificó con otra raza etnicidad. También estamos reportando 671 casos nuevos el día de hoy. Esto eleva el número total de casos en el condado de Los Ángeles a 249,859. Y también reportamos 1,656 casos confirmados entre personas sin hogar. Actualmente se encuentran hospitalizadas 900, eh, hospitalizados 936 casos confirmados. El 33% de estas personas son casos de personas que están en unidades de uh, cuidados intensivos y el 18% están en ventiladores. Hemos investigado un total de 1,707 instituciones eh, residenciales y el total de casos confirmados en entornos institucionales es de 33,220, incluidos tanto el personal como los residentes. 16,821 de estos casos confirmados son residentes y un total de 16,399 son personal. Y nos da tristeza informar que 2,705 residentes en entornos institucionales han fallecido a causa de COVID-19. Un total de aproximadamente 2,442 de estos fallecimientos uh, dentro de estas instituciones uh, residían en centros de enfermería especializada. De los 61 fallecimientos reportados hoy, el 15% fueron fallecimientos relacionados a centros de enfermería especializada. Y estamos reportando 3,609 casos confirmados en las cárceles, 3,199 entre personas que están encarceladas y 410 empleados. Hay 251 casos en la prisión estatal y 758 casos en las cárceles federales y 145 casos en los centros de eh, menores. También cabe destacar que casi 2.4 millones de personas se han sometido a pruebas y sus resultados han sido eh, reportados al condado de Los Ángeles. El 10% de estas personas han dado resultados positivos. Y para terminar, eh, queremos recordarles a todos, empresas, instituciones, eh, individuos, por igual, que la responsabilidad de superar esta pandemia es de todos nosotros. 
la prevención de infecciones que provocan que las personas se enfermen uh, gravemente y tal vez mueran es algo de que todos los residentes y empresas uh, del condado de Los Ángeles deben asumir la responsabilidad. Tenemos herramientas para hacer esto. Eh, hemos estado usando estas herramientas durante los últimos seis meses y cuando hemos sido diligentes, hemos visto que funcionan. Si estuvo potencialmente expuesto a COVID-19 durante el fin de semana, eh, hágase la prueba. Por ejemplo, si estuvo en un área con mucha gente uh, este fin de semana y si las personas no usaban cubiertas para la cara, uh, hágase la prueba. Y si estaba cerca de alguien que se sentía levemente enfermo, uh, hágase la prueba. Y si estuvo con alguien que dio positivo a la prueba del virus, incluso si nunca se sintió enfermo, hágase la prueba. Los sitios de prueba están abiertos y hay citas disponibles. Y mientras espera los resultados, es importante que se ponga en cuarentena, que se quede en casa y que se mantenga alejado de otras personas, especialmente las personas que corren un mayor riesgo de enfermarse gravemente por COVID-19. Um, okay, now we'll go ahead and move on to remarks in Armenian. Barior Bolorin. Շնորհակալություն վերահսկիչ սոլիսին եւ ամբողջ վերահսկիչ խորհրդին։ Ես շատ երախտապարտ եմ այն ամենի համար, ինչ դուք անում եք մեր շրջանի վերականգնման ճանապարը հեշտացնելու համար։ Շնորհակալություն այսօր մեզ միանալու համար։ Ես ուզում եմ ձեզ հետ կիսել տեղեկատվություն այն մասին, որոնք մենք տեսնում ենք մեր դեպքերի հոսպիտալացման եւ մահվան վերաբերյալ։ Ես նաև տեղեկացնեմ, ինչպես նաև որոշ տեղեկություններ կփոխանակեմ մեր դանդաղ զգուշորեն վերաբացման վերաբերյալ։ Հույսով եմ, որ Լոս Անջելոս շրջանի ամբողջ բնակիչները տեսան հուլիս 4-ից հետո հոսպիտալացման եւ մահվան դեպքերի առելի աճ։ Ես ուզում եմ շնորհակալություն հայտնել բոլոր նրանց, ովքեր աշխատանքային օրվա հանգստյան օրերին զգուշ են եւ ովքեր հարգումեն մեր աշխատաուժը, մնալով տանը եւ երբ գտնվում էին մարդկանց շրջապատում, պահում էին ֆիզիկական հեռավորություն եւ կրում էին դեմքի ծածկոց։ Հիմա եկեք նայենք թե որտեղ են եղել եւ ինչ են դիտում հաջորդ մի քանի շափատների ընթացքում, տեսնելու համար Արցակուրթային հանգստյան օրերի ազդեցությունը մեր համայնքներում վիրուսի փոխանցման համար։ Հաջորդը ես կցանկանային համառոտ տեղեկություններ ներկայացնել հատուկ ծառայությունների համար դպրոցների վերաբերման վերաբացման գործընթացի մասին եւ փոքր խոսել այն մասին որ անհրաժեշտը զգուշ լինել մեր վերաբացման գործընթացը որպիսի մենք շարունակենք առաջընթաց գրանցել COVID-19 տարածումը դանդաղեցնելու ուղղությամբ ինչպես նախորդ շափատվա հայտարարեցինք Բարչաշրջանը նախատեսնում է թույլատրել, վերաբացվել քեյից 12 դասարանները դպրոցների համար, անձամբ հատուկ ծառայությունների եւ բարձր կարիք ունեցող աշակերտների համար։ Սա ներառում է անհատական կրթական ծրագրեր ունեցող ուսանողներ եւ անգլերեն լեզվի սովորողներ, ինչպես նաեւ այլ ուսանողներ, ովքեր կարիք ունեն գնահատման եւ աջակցության եւ չեն կարող տրամադրվել վիրտուալ ուսուցման միջոցով հատուկ ծառայությունների վերաբացման համար 
մեր դպրոցներից խնդրում ենք ծանուցման ձև ուղարկել հանրային առողջապահության վարչություն։ Դիմումը հասանելի է մեր կայքում, որպես լրացման ենթակա PDF եւ պահանջվում է հիմնական տեղեկատվություն դպրոցի անվան, աշակերտների եւ անձնակազմի սпасարկվող քանակը, ըստ-դասարների եւ շփման կետը դպրոցում։ Այնայնիվ պահանջվում է, որ դպրոցը բավարարի 3 պահանջներ։ Նախվոր նրանք ունեն համապատասխան պաշտպանող գործիքներ, ապրանքներ, պետական ցուցումները բավարարելու համար։ Երկրորդը, որ նրանք ունեն ծրագրեր եւ արձանագրություններ, վերահսկողության տեսավորման եւ հետագա ստուգման համար, եւ եթե դպրոցում բռնկում սկսվի, առողջապահության վարչությունը կտեղեկացվի դրական թեստերի մասին։ Վերջապես դպրոցները պետք է հաստատեն, որ դրանք կհամապատասխանեն առողջապահության վարչության վերաբացման ստուգաթերթին, որը տեղադրված է մեր կայքում։ Ստուգաթերթը լրացնելուց հետո այն պետք է ներկայացվի դպրոցի ադմինիստրատորի կողմից առողջապահության վարչություն, դպրոցը վերաբացումից առնվազը 5 օր առաջ։ Դիմումը կքննարկվի առողջապահության վարչությունի կողմից ամբողջությամբ դպրոցը չպետք է սпаսի հաստատմանը նախքան վերաբացումը բայց նաև չպետք է հապավեր դիմել եթե օգնության կարիք ունեն առողջապահության վարչությունը կմնա տեխնիկական օժանդակության եւ աջակցության համար քանի որ դպրոցները կբացվեն եւ մենք ակնկալում ենք սերտ գործընկերություն պահպանել քանի որ ավելի շատ աշակերտներ կկարողանան վերադառնալ իրենց դասարանները Սա կարևոր հնարավորություն կլինի սահմանափակ թվով աշակերտներին վերադարձնել իրենց դպրոցներում անձամբ աջակցելու համար միաժամանակ ապահովելով բոլոր համախմբման հերավորությունների եւ բարակների վերահսկման հրահանգները բոլորին անվտանգ պահելու համար Վերջապես ես կցանկանայ ամրապնդել շարունակական զգուշություն անհրաժեշտությունը եւ վերաբացվենք Մենք որպես շրջան հսկայական առաջընթաց ենք գրանցել հուլիսի կեսերիցի վեր մեր համայքի փոխանցման տեմպերը իջեցնելու եւ մեր առողջապահական համակարգի պահանջարկի աղետալի մակարդակը կանխելու հարցում։ Մենք մեծ մասամբ հաջողակ ենք եղել, քանի որ մարդիկ հետևում են այն ամենին, ինչ մենք գիտենք, որ ունենք լավագույն առողջապահական պրակտիկան։ Մենք խոսափել ենք հավաքույտներից եւ բազմաթիվ ծառայություններ տեղափոխվել են դրսում։ Մենք դեմքի ծածկոցներ են կրել, երբ շփվել են ուրիշների հետ եւ ճանասիրաբար ձեռքեր են լվացել։ Երբ տեսնում ենք, որ փոխանցման տեմպերը նվազում են, բնական պատասխանը թողնել ցանկանալ ավելի մեծ վերադարձ դեպի նորմալին։ Սա հատկապես ճիշտ կլինի, երբ մենք դիմենք աշնան եւ ձմռան ամիսներին երբ ունենանք մի շարք կարևոր կրոնական եւ արցակուրդներ ցավոք այն ինչ մենք սովորել ենք անցած մի քանի ամիսների ընթացքում այն է որ այս պահին մենք չենք կարող վերադառնալ նորմալին մենք պետք է պահպանենք մեր զգոյնությունը որպեսի կարողանանք շարունակել ճնշվել ճնշել վիրուսի տարածումը եւ հասնել մի տեղ երբ կարողանանք ապահով վերաբացվել լրացուցիչ հատվածներ հատկապես դպրոցները այսպիսով ես բոլորին խնդրում եմ նախապես մտածել այն մասին թե ինչպես են կուշադիր նավարկելու 
աշնանը եւ ձմրանը ինչպես ենք նպաստում երեխաներին անվտանգ վերադառնալը դպրոց ինչպես ենք նախատեսում ավելի անվտանգ անցկացնել տոները եւ սա ներառում է առաջիկա հալոուինը այս տարվա համար մեզ համար պարզապես անվտանգ չէ տոնել այնպես ինչպես սովորաբար ենք տոնում առողջապահության հրամանով արթենիսկ արկելված են հավաքույտներ, միջոցառումներ, երեկույտներ, կարնավալներ, փարատոններ, տնային ատրակցիոն վայրեր։ Եկեք գտնենք տոնելու այնպիսի եղանակներ, որոնք անվտանգ են երեխաների եւ ընտանիքների համար։ Կազմակերպեք վիրտուալ երեկույթ համացանցում եւ զբաղվեք ձեր եւ զարթարեք ձեր տունը եւ բակը։ Հալոուինի հետ կապված որոշ գործողություններ կամ, որոնք ավելի անվտանգ են, այդ թվում մեքենաների շքերտներ եւ կինոնկարների գիշերներ։ Մեր կայքում կա մանրամաս տեղեկություններ publichealth.elecanada.gov։ Մենք մի միանց շատ ենք հարցնում, երբ որոնում ենք թե ինչպես ապրել համաճարակի ժամանակ։ Պատրաստ լինել, ճկուն լինել եւ անընդհատ կապ հաստատել զվարճանալու նոր եղանակներ պարզել մեր իրականությունն է։ Մենք դեռ համայք ենք տարածված, որի արդյունքում ավելի քան 6000 մարդ մահացել է։ Տասնյակ հազարավոր բնակիչներ, ովքեր պայքարում են ծանր հիվանդությունից վերականգնելու համար եւ 100 հազարավոր տնտեսական աղետներ։ Միակ ճանապարը այն է, որ մենք կարողանանք դանդաղեցնել COVID-19 տարածումը ներկայումս արկա գործիքներով։ Ներկա իրավիճակի վերաբերյալ։ Այսօր ցավով հայտնում ենք եւս 61 մահվան մասին։ Այս մարդկանցից 22-ը 80 տարեկանից բարձր էին, որոնցից 15-ը ունեցել են ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ։ 12-ը 65 տարեկանից 79-ն էին, որից 10-ը ունեցել են ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ։ 23 անձի տարիքը 50-ից 50-ից 64-ն է եւ 19-ը ունեցել են ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ։ 3-ը 30 տարեկանից 49-ն են, որոնցից 2-ը ունեցել են ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ։ Սա բերում է ընդհանուր մահերի թիվը 6090-ի Լոս Անջելոս շրջանում։ Էթնիկ պատկանելություն հետևյալն է։ 55% լատինեկս, 23% սպիտակ, 15% ասիական, 10% աֆրոամերիկացիներ, 1% բնիկ հավայան, 1% մեկալ ռասա եւ էթնիկ խումբ։ COVID-19-ով մահացած անձանց 92%-ը ունեն ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ, ինչը կարևորում է այն անձանց, ովքեր առողջական լուրջ խնդիրներ ունեն մնալ տանը եւ հնարավորինս խոսափել սրտ կապերից։ Այսօր մենք հայտնում ենք 671 նոր դեպքեր եւ սա բերում է Լոս Անջելես շրջանի դրական դեպքերի ընդհանուր թիվը 249859 Այս դեպքերը ներառում են Long Beach քաղաքում մեր գործընկերների կողմից գրանցված 10957 դեպքեր, իսկ Փաստենա քաղաքի կողմից գրանցված 2443 դեպքեր, որոնք ունեն անկախ առողջապահական բաժանմունքներ։ Մենք հայտնում ենք 1656 հաստատված դեպք անոթևան ապրող մարդկանց շրջանում։ Ապաստան գտած 475 անց 
պատշաճ կերպով մեկուսացված են, իսկ սերտ կապերը կարանտինացված են։ Ներկայումս հոսպիտալացվել են 936 մարդ, որոնցից 33 տոքոսը գտնվում են ինտենսիվ խնամքի բաժամունքում, իսկ 18 տոքոսը միացված են շնչարական ոթապոխիչների։ Ներկայումս կնություններ են կատարվում 1707 ինստիտությոնալ բնակչության հաստատություններում։ Ինստիտությոնալ միջավայրում հաստատված ընդհանուր դեպքերը 33,220 են, ներարյալ անձնակազմը և բնայկիչները։ Այս դեպքերից 16,821 բնայկիչներ են և 16,399 անձնակազմ։ Սավով ենք հայտնում, որ 2705 մարդ, Ինստիտությոնալ միջավայրում բնակվող մահացածներից 2442-ը բնակվում էին հմուտ բուշքուրական հաստատություններում։ Մենք ծավում ենք այս կորուստի համար։ Սեկուցում ենք, որ 3609 դեպ կարցանագրվել է կրիակ 251 դեպք նահանգային բանտերում, 190 դատապարծյալ և 61 աշխատակազ, 758 դեպք վեդերալ բանտերում, 742 բանտարկյալ և 16 աշխատակազ, 145 դեպք անչապասների հաստատություններում, 62 բանտարկյալ և 83 աշխատակազ։ Եվ լոս անջելուսի շրջանի արձանագրված բոլոր նոր դեպքերի զեկույցը կարող եք տեսնել առողջապահության վարջության կայքում publichealth.lacani.gov։ Ավելի կան երկու ամբողջ չորս միլիոն մարդ տեստավորվել են և արդյունքները որ այս համաճարակից դուրս գալու պատասխանատվությունը բոլորիս վրա է։ Այն վարակների կանխարկելումը, որոնք հագեցնում են այն բանին, որ մարդիկ լուրջ հիվանդանում են և մի գուծ է մերնում, այն է ինչի համար պետք է ապավինել միայն առողջապահության վարջության կամ հարկադիր կատարման մարմիններին։ Դա յուրականչուրից է պահանջվում։ Մենք ունենք դա անելու գործիքները, մենք ոգտագործում ենք այս գործիքները վերջին 6 ամբիսներ դրանք անրաժեշտ կլինի տեսանալի ապագայում։ Երբ ձեր տանից դուրս գտնվող մարդկանց և նրան շրջակայքում եք, պահեք արնվազը վեծ ոտնաչապ վիզիկական հերավորություն և անընթատ հակեք կտորի դիմակ։ Հաճախակի � 
տեստավորվեք կովիդ 19-ի համար։ Եթե տեստը դրական է կովիդ 19-ի համար, մեկ ուսացվեք առնվազը 10 օր։ Եթե սերտ կապի մեջ է եղել դրական կովիդ 19-ով անձի հետ, ապա 14 օր շարունակ կարանտինացվեք։ Հաշվի արեք վարակվելու ռիսկի ձեր կատարած յուրաքանչյուր գործողություն։ Ձրագրեք, թե ինչպես կարող եք նվազեցնել այդ ռիսկը։ Լավ գաղափար է, որ հիմա սկսեք պլանավորել, թե ինչպես եք անվտանք դիմավորելու առաջիկա տոները և հնարավոր է ձեր երեխաների համար տպրոց վերադարնալը։ Եթե արցակուրթային հանգստյան որերին պոտենցիալ ենթարգվել է կովիտ 19-ին, ես խրախուսում Եթե դուք մեկի շրջապատում եք եղել, որ նույնիսկ մեղ հիվանդ է եղել, ապա պետք է տեստավորվեք։ Եթե դուք ինչ-որ մեկի շրջապատում եք, ով դրական տեստավորվել էր և երբևից է հիվանդ չի զգացել, դուք պետք տանը մնացեք հերու մնալով հատկապես այն մարդկանցից, ովքեր ավելի մեծ ռիսկի են գենթարկում ծանր հիվանդանալ կովիտ 19-ով։ Շնորակալություն, Thank you, now the remarks in Korean. Աննյաշիմնիկա, ուներեն կեիսիսուա բյոնգոն իբանջասուսուսուսուսուսուսուսուսուսուսուսուսուսուսուսուսու LA 카운티의 많은 주민분들이 7월 4일 이후 케이스 수나 병원 입원자 수, 사망자 수 증가와 몇 사업체들이 다시 폐쇄를 했던 경험을 보고 이번 레이버데이 주말을 맞이하면서 더 조심하셨기를 바랍니다. 집에 머무르고 밖에 다른 사람들과 있을 때 신체적 거리를 지키고 천 얼굴 가리개를 사용함으로써 조심하고 우리 인력을 존중시켜주시는 여러분들께 감사드립니다. 이제 앞으로 몇 주간 공휴 주말이 우리 커뮤니티의 바이러스 확산에 어떤 영향을 미쳤는지 보게 될 것입니다. 7월 4일쯤에 하루에는 약 2천 개의 케이스 수가 있었고 7월 22일에는 7월 4일에서부터의 2주 후인데 3,100개의 케이스 수로서 최고 수치였습니다. 이미 언급했듯이 코비드19의 잠복 기간이 2주 정도이므로 이 증가율은 7월 4일 공휴일 동안 확산된 바이러스로 인해 생겨난 것입니다. 8월 중순 이후로의 일일 새로운 케이스 수가 계속 줄어들고 있고 좋은 소식은 현재의 하루 평균 수치는 1000 케이스입니다. 코비드 19 7일 평균 일일 테스트 확중률을 보면 처음에 4월에는 아픈 사람들만 테스트를 했었기 때문에 그 결과가 제한적이었고 계속해서 줄다가 7월 초에는 8.5%로 증가했다가 8월에는 테스트 확중률이 5%로 낮아졌습니다. 7월에는 병원 입원자 수가 하루에 평균 2,100명이 넘었었습니다. 그러나 지난달 병원 입원자 수는 하루에 평균 1,000명 미만으로 줄었고 이 수치는 4월 초와 비슷한 수치입니다. 30에서 49세의 연령층이 병원에 입원하는 두 번째로 많은 그룹인데 첫 번째는 50에서 64세의 연령층입니다. 병원에 입원하는 35%가 50세 미만인 것으로 보여집니다. 
7일 평균 1일 사망률을 보면 안타깝게도 7월 4일 공휴일로부터 22일 후인 때의 사망률이 계속 올라가서 하루에 44명까지 있었습니다. 축하 파티나 모임 또한 큰 무리에 있는 것이 다른 사람을 해치려고 한 것은 아니지만 이것이 코비드19의 확산에 이르게 되었고 결국 집이나 직장으로 돌아갔을 때 전염된 사람들이 더 많아지고 또 매우 아프거나 죽기까지 할수 있습니다. 사망률이 현재 많이 줄어들기는 했지만 케이스 수와 병원 입원자 수가 다시 증가하면 언제나 사망률이 또 증가하게 될 것입니다. 지난 몇 주간 LA 카운티의 전체 케이스 수가 줄게 되면서 큰 영향을 받던 그룹들의 수치도 줄어들고 있습니다. 그러나 전체적인 수치는 줄어들어도 불균형한 것은 아직도 심각합니다. LA 카운터의 실제 수는 많지 않지만 원주 하마, 하와이안 퍼시픽 섬 주민들 중에 10만 명당 3,474명의 케이스로 라틴 계열보다 두배가더 많은 수치입니다. 라틴 계열 주민들은 우리 카운티의 대부분인데 케이스 수는 백인의 주민들보다 3배 이상 높은 10만 명당 1,846 케이스입니다. 백인은 10만 명당 635 케이스입니다. 흑인과 미국 인디안 알래스카 원주민들도 백인이나 동양인 주민들보다 높은 케이스류를 보이고 있습니다. 코비드19로 인해 사망한 사람들의 수치를 보면 흑인들은 10만 명당 61명, 이 수치는 백인이 10만 명당 31명이기 때문에 두배 이상 높은 것으로 볼수 있습니다. 라틴 계열 주민의 사망률은 10만 명당 85명이므로 백인보다 세배 높은 수치입니다. 또한 소득 수준에 따른 사망률이 심각한데 높은 소득 수준에 살고 있는 사람들의 사망률은 10만 명당 28명인 것에 비해 낮은 소득 수준에 살고 있는 사람들의 사망률은 이보다 3배 높은 10만 명당 113명입니다. 이러한 인종차별과 불평등의, 불평등한 리소스 액세스가 다른 건강 문제뿐만 아니라 이 팜데믹 동안 큰 역할을 하였습니다. 그렇기 때문에 이 불평등을 바로잡기 위해서 많은 노력이 필요합니다. 여기에는 일하는 노동자들을 보호하는 것인데 특히 저소득층 노동자들에게 고립과 격리를 할수 있는 격리가 필요한 자들에게 서비스와 서포트를 마련하고 테스트를 받을 수 있도록 마련하고 커뮤니티 기관들과 협력하여 정보를 교환하고 인종차별과 이러한 차별의 기회를 제한하고 건강한 삶을 살수 있도록 리소스를 마련하는 도움을 베푸는 것입니다. 지난주에 발표한 대로 카운티는 K-12 12학년 학교에서 필요한 학생들에게 직접 특수 서비스를 제공하기 위해 학교를 여는 것을 허락하는 계획을 가지고 있습니다. 여기에는 개개인들의 교육 계획안, 즉 IEP가 있거나 영어를 언어로 배우는 학생들, 평가가 필요하거나 원격 교육으로 베풀 수 없는 도움이 필요한 학생들을 위한 것입니다. 이 특별 서비스를 위해서 영업 재개를 하는 학교들은 보건 당국에 공지 서류를 보내야 합니다. 이 서류는 보건국 웹사이트에 있는데 학교 이름과 학년별 학교에 다닐 학생 수또 직원 수 그리고 학교 연락처를 기입하도록 되어 있습니다. 또한 학교는 세 가지 요구 조건에 달해야 하는데 먼저 학교의 DPH와 주정보 지침에 따라서 충분한 PPE, 즉 개인 보호 장비가 있어야 하고 둘째로 학교 내에서 발병이 있을 때 테스트를 하고 팔로우할 수 있는 계획과 프로토콜이 있어야 합니다. 셋째로 보건부 웹사이트에도 게시되어 있는 DPH 영업체계 체크리스트에 따라야 할 것입니다. 
서류가 작성이 되면 학교 어드미니스트레이터는 서류에 있는 DPH 이메일로 학교가 재계약이 5일 전에 보내야 합니다. 서류가 잘 작성되어 있는지 확인한 후에 보건부 팀에서 학교로 연락을 취할 것입니다. 학교는 영업 재개 전에 허가나 확인을 기다리지 않아도 되지만 도움이 필요하다면 언제든지 연락할 수 있습니다. 마지막으로 영업을 재개하면서 계속 주의를 해야 한다는 것을 당부드리고 싶습니다. 현재 LA 카운티에서 열수 있는 사업체들과 폐쇄되어 있는 사업체들의 리스트를 보건국 웹사이트에서 참조하실 수 있습니다. 7월 중순부터 커뮤니티 확산율이 줄이고 의료 서비스 시스템이 포화생태되는 것을 막기 위해서 우리는 많은 노력을 해왔습니다. 많은 사람들이 보건 집침에 따라주었기 때문에 성공할 수 있었습니다. 우리는 모이는 것을 피하고 많은 서비스를 야외로 옮겼습니다. 또한 우리는 다른 사람들과 만날 때꼭 얼굴 가르개를 쓰고 열심히 손도 씻었습니다. 이러한 확장률이 내려가는 것을 보면 우리는 자연스럽게 다시 정상화하고 싶어하는 마음이 들수 있습니다. 특히 가을과 겨울에 중요한 종교적 또 공휴일이 다가오고 있기 때문에 그러할 수 있습니다. 안타깝게도 지난 몇 달간 우리가 본 것처럼 어, 지금 상황에서 정상화로 돌아갈 수는 없습니다. 우리는 계속해서 바이러스의 확산을 누르고 특히 학교처럼 더 많은 부분이 안전하게 영업을 재개할 수 있도록 조심해야 할 것입니다. 그러므로 모든 분들께 어떻게 우리가 이 가을과 겨울철을 조심히 보낼지 생각해 보도록 권유하는 바입니다. 아이들이 학교에 안전히 돌아갈 수 있도록 우리가 어떻게 할 것입니까? 안전한 공휴일을 기념하기 위해서 어떻게 계획할 것입니까? 이것은 다가오는 할로윈을 포함한 음, 올해 우리가 항상 하던 방식으로 이 날을 기념할 수 없을 것입니다. 올해는 트리콜 트리딩을 추천하지 않을 것입니다. 어떠한 모임이나 이벤트, 파티, 카니발, 페스티벌, 도깨비집 등 이미 보건당당자 명령하에 금지된 일들입니다. 우리 가족과 자녀들을 위해 어떻게 안전하게 기념할 수 있는지 방법을 찾으십시오. 온라인 파티를 열고 집과 마당을 장식할 수 있을 것입니다. 자동차 퍼레이드나 드라이브인 영화처럼 안전한 액티비티를 찾을 수 있을 것입니다. 자세한 지침을 보건당국 웹사이트 publichealth.lacounty.gov에서 보실 수 있습니다. 데일리 리포트를 그럼 말씀드리도록 하겠습니다. 유감스럽게도 코로나 바이러스로 인해 추가로 61명의 사망자가 보고되었습니다. 이중 22명은 80세 이상이고 이중 15명은 이미 질환을 가지고 있었습니다. 13명은 65에서 79세 사이이고 이중 10명은 이미 질환을 가지고 있었습니다. 23명은 50에서 64세 사이이고 이중 19명이 질환을 가지고 있었습니다. 3명은 30에서 49세 사이이고 이중 2명은 이미 질환을 가지고 있었습니다. 이로써 로스앤젤레스 카운티에서의 총 사망자 수는 6,090명입니다. 코로나 바이러스 인해 사망하신 분들의 92%가 이미 질환을 가지고 있었습니다. 인종과 민족성이 알려진 5,728명의 사망자 중에 51%는 라틴 계열, 23%는 백인, 15%는 동양인, 10%는 흑인, 1% 미만은 하와이 태평양섬 원주민, 1%는 기타 인종이었습니다. 오늘로써 671건의 새로운 확진 케이스가 보호되었는데 이로써 로스앤젤레스 카운티에서의 총 확진 케이스 수는 24만 9,859건입니다. 이 수는 롱비치서에서의 1,957건, 파사디나서에서의 2,443건이 있으며 이 두시는 각 보건부가 따로 있음을 알려드립니다. 
노숙자들 가운데의 확진 케이스 수는 1,656건이고 이들 중 475명이 보호소에서 고립되었으며 밀접 접촉자는 격리되었습니다. 현재 936명이 양성 확진자로 병원에 입원해 있으며 이중 33%는 중환자실에 18%는 인공호흡기에 의존해 있습니다. 하나 이상의 확진 케이스가 나온 1,707개의 거주시설과 비거주시설을 조사하였고 이중 827개는 현재 조사 중이며 880개는 조사를 마쳤습니다. 시설에서의 총 확진 케이스 수는 3만 3,220건이고 이중 1만 6,221명은 거주자이며 1만 6,399명은 일하는 사람들입니다. 교도시설에서는 3,609건의 확진 케이스가 있었고 이중 3,199명은 수감자이며 410명은 일하는 사람들입니다. 지금까지 LA 보건부로 240만 건 이상이 코로나 바이러스 테스트를 받은 것으로 보고되었고 이중 10%는 양성 결과였습니다. 마지막으로 모든 분들께 당부하고 싶은 것은 사업체나 시설이거나 개인이거나 이 판단맥을 이겨나기 위해서는 우리 모두에게 책임이 있다는 것입니다. 전염병을 예방하여서 사람들이 중병에 걸리거나 죽지 않도록 하는 것은 LA 카운트의 모든 주민과 모든 사업체가 해야 할 책임입니다. 우리는 COVID-19로부터 안전하기 위해서 오직 보건당국이나 시행기관에 의지할 수가 없습니다. 우리 모두 각자에게 달려 있습니다. 우리는 모두 도구를 가지고 있는데 지난 6개월간 이 도구들을 사용해왔고 이 도구들이 도움이 된다는 것을 알고 있습니다. 그러므로 이 도구들을 계속 사용하십시오. 밖에서 우리 가족이 아닌 사람들 옆에 있을 때 6피트의 신체적 거리를 유지하고 항상 천 얼굴 가리개를 사용하십시오. 손을 자주 씻고 갇혀있는 공간이나 큰 무리를 멀리하십시오. 집에 머물러 있고 아프다면 다른 사람들에게서 멀리 떨어져 있고 코비드19 테스트를 받으십시오. 코비드19 양성 확증을 받았다면 10일간 격리해야 하며 양성인 사람과 밀접한 접촉이 있었다면 14일간 격리해야 합니다. 모든 활동에 전염된 가능성을 고려하고 위험을 줄이기 위해서 계획해야 합니다. 지금부터 다가오는 공휴일을 어떻게 안전하게 기념할지 미리 계획하고 자녀들이 학교에 돌아갈 때 어떻게 할 것인지 계획하십시오. 공휴일 주말 동안 코비드19에 노출되었을 가능성이 있다면 테스트를 받으십시오. 만약 이번 주말에 사람들이 천 얼굴 가리개를 사용하지 않았던 큰 무리 가운데 있었다면 테스트를 받으십시오. 또한 경미하게 아픈 사람 옆에 있었다면 테스트를 받으십시오. 양성 테스트를 받은 사람이 현재 아프지는 않더라도 그 옆에 있었다면 테스트를 받으십시오. 테스트 장소는 항상 열려 있고 예약도 가능합니다. 그리고 개, 결과를 기다리는 동안 격리를 하는 것이 중요합니다. 집에 있으면서 특히 코로나19로 중병에 걸릴 가능성이 큰 다른 사람들과 멀리 있는 것이 중요합니다. 감사합니다. Next, Alan Chung will brief in Mandarin. Thank you. 感谢多少委员索林斯女士和全体多少委员我代表全县人民感谢你们一直不断的领导我们抗疫各位下午好感谢大家参加我们的发布会今天我会为大家更新新冠病例住院状况及死亡收据方面的趋势同时我也会向大
当时病例暴涨，住院人数或死亡人数也激增，我们不得不重新关闭很多商业活动。但这是劳工节活动，我们就谨慎多了。在此，我要感谢所有在这个节日中谨慎行事的所有人。通过待在家中外出时，佩戴口罩并保持物理距离，大大减轻了我们工作人员方面的负荷。现在，让我来看看劳。劳工节中发生了什么？大家在劳工节期间的活动会给未来的几星期带来什么样的影响？病毒在我们社区的传播会出现什么样的结果<咳> ？The first slide, please. 该图显示每天病例的七天平均值。我们看到了七月四号左右，每天的新增病例为两千左右。但我们知道这一数据受六月份的疫情影响非常大。六月六月中旬时，很多商业重新开启，包括餐厅、就餐厅的饮食就在室内就餐、健身场所等重新开启。但是到了七月二十号，准确的说就是七月四号独立节以后的两周后，我们的每日病例突然增加到了三千一百例。我们说过 ，COVID-19。的潜伏期大约为两星期，所以我们相信这些病例都是在七月十独立节所传染的。从八月中旬开始，每日的新每日的新增病例才开始慢慢的逐渐下降。比较好的消息是我们现在每天的平均新增病例在一千左右。Next one, please。这张图显示的是阳性患者每日病例的七天平均值趋势图。四月份的高值反映了最开始的测试能力没能跟上，整个春季这一平均数字都在下降，然后到了七月份又重新上升到百分之八点五。Next one, please。这张图的趋势显示 ，COVID-19 住院人数的三天平均值最大的或最迅猛的增加是每天两千一百例。而高点则出现在七月四号之后的两到三星期期间，但这个月每天平均值住院人数降低到了一千人左右，接近四月份的数据。Next one, please。从这张图可以看出，每日住院人数的下降反映了治疗的改善，同时我们也可以看出年轻人的住院人数在增加，而年长者的住院人数在下降。图中的黄线表示，十八岁到二十九岁之间的病例；绿线则代表三十岁到四十九岁之间。三十岁到四十九岁之间的病患在住院者患中排名第二，仅次于五十岁到六十四岁之间的病患。住院人群中有百分之三十五的人群是五十岁以下的。Next one, please. 这张图显示每日死亡的人数的七天平均值。很不幸的是，独立节之后的第二十二天，死亡人数达到了峰值每天四十四人的高点。这些图示都向我们阐述一个事实：我们大家的活动是生死攸关的，庆祝活动、聚会、参加集会等本身是没有有意伤害他人的目的的，但这些活动会造成病毒的传播。
，而且被感染的参与者回家后或返回工作场所后会传染更多人，而那些被传染者中间有可能会得到重病甚至死死亡。Namaskar。最后，我要强调的是，我们在重启时要时刻保持警惕。这上面显示了洛杉矶县现在已经开启的一些商业和人处于关闭状态的一些行业。从七月中旬到现在，我们取得了十足的进步，社区传染率的大幅下降，让我们避免了我们医院医疗系统出现灾难性的超负荷。我们的成功应该归功于我们大家，因为大家遵守各种防御令，避免聚会，将活动从室内移到室外，与他人接触时佩戴口罩，而且我们也勤洗手。当感染率下降时，我们很多人的自然会想到，会渴望尽快回归正常，尤其是当秋季和冬季来临时，我们将有很多节日。但是，过去几个月的我们的经验告诉我们，这个时候我们还也不能回归正常，而且我们还要时刻警醒，这样我们才能够持续阻止病毒的传播，以便我们能够重新开启其他行业，尤其是我们的学校。所以，我在这里向大家呼吁，是时候仔细想想怎样度过这个秋季和冬季了。我们怎样才能让我们的孩子安全的返校？怎样才能度过一个安全的节日？这包括即将到来的万圣节。我们十分清楚，我们不能像网上一样庆祝万圣节了。我们不能，而且我们不能建议不要做吹口吹令。卫生官员的居家令已经十分清楚的禁止禁止聚会、派对等等。好。我现在为大家更新每日数据。很不幸，我们又有五十一人因新冠病毒去，六十一人新新冠病毒去世，其中二十二人是八十岁以上的长者，在这二十二人中有十五人患有其他疾病，十三个人介于六十五岁到七十九岁之间，其中十人患有其他疾病，二十三人年龄介于五十到六十四岁之间。其中十九人患有其他疾病，三人的年龄介于三十到四十九岁之间，其中两人患有其他疾疾病。这样，洛县总死亡人数都达到了六千零九十人。我在这里向那些失去亲人的朋友寄去悲伤，我们这里，我在这里祝福你们度过悲伤，获得平安。在因新冠病毒去世的人中，百分之九十二的人都患有其他疾病。我们这里有统计资料显示，因新冠病毒去世的人中，五千七百二十九人逐一背景已经分类。分类的结果如下：拉丁裔占百分之五十一，白人占百分之二十三，亚洲人占百分之十一，非裔占百分之十。属于夏威夷和太平洋群岛的原住民所占的比例不足。百分之一，还有百分之一属于其他族裔。今天我们新添了六百七十一例新的病例，这样洛杉矶县病例的总数就上升到了二十四万九千八百五十九人
这一数字包括长滩市的一万零九百五十七例和帕萨蒂纳市的两千四百四十三例，两个城市都有自己的独立的卫生部门。无家可归的人中有一千六百五十六人确诊病例，其中四百七十五例已安排到隔离和检疫地点，以方便他们在生病期间得到很好的隔离。现在确诊的新冠病例患者住院人数为九百三十六例，其中百分之三十三的人住在加护病房，其中有百分之十八的人病人使用呼吸机。我们对一千零一千七百零七人的大型住宅和非住宅机构做了调查，这些机构中均至少有一个已知的新冠病毒患者，其中八百二十七个人在调查中。八百八十个已完成了调查，这些机构包括疗养院、普州居住所、避难所、治疗中心、援助住居中心、管教所、非住宅机构，包括工作场所、餐饮和零售店以及教育中心。所有机构确诊的病例总数为三万三千两百二十人，其中居民为一万六千八百二十名。员工一万六千三百九十九人，我们沉痛，我们非常沉痛。因新冠病毒去世人中有两千七百零五人来自机构住所，其中两千四百四十四人而来自于熟练护理机构。今天六十一个去世的人中有九人，占百分之十五，来自熟练护理机构。所有的监禁场所的总病例为三千六百零九人，其中三千一百九十九人为囚犯，四百一十人为职员。加州的监狱有两百五十一人确诊病例，其中一百九十人为囚犯，六十一人为管教人员。联邦监狱与上星期没变，七百五十八例，其中七百四十二人为囚犯，十六人为管教人员。少年管教所有一百四十五人，其中六十二人为囚犯，八十三人为管教人员。洛杉矶县到目前为止已经有两百四十多万的居民进行了新冠病毒检测，并上报了测试结果，其中大约百分之十的测试呈阳性<咳>。结束前，我要再次的向大家重申：只有我们所有人一起努力，方能度过这次大灾难，包括。各企业、各机构以及我们每一个人，只有大家一起预防病毒，避免病毒、重病患者感染甚至死亡，这样我们落线了每一个居民和企业的责任。我们不能仅仅依赖卫生局或其他机构，我们每个人都有责任来保护我们免受病毒、新冠病毒的侵害。我们有行之有效的方法，这些方法已经使用了六个月。只要我们认真使用，我们就知道这些方法行之有效。让我们一起继续使用这些方法，在可见的未来，我们将会一直使用这些方法。这些方法包括：当外出时，当和家庭成员之外的朋友相处时，请继续保持六英尺以上的物理距离，并一直佩戴口罩。请经常洗手，避免进入人群
避免进入密闭空间。而且，如果你感到生病，请待在家里，并尽量去测试。如果测试结果呈阳性，自我隔离至少十天。如果你与阳性患者有过亲密接触，请自我检疫十四天。考虑到你做的每一个活动都会给你带来感染的风险，请周密安排和计划你的每一个活动，以减少被感染的风险。我建议现在大家就可以开始筹划未来的节日，因为你的孩子为你的孩子重返学校做好一些安排。如果你在刚过去的周末不幸被感染了，我建议你去测试。譬如，如果你与人群相聚，且人群中没有人戴口罩，我建议你立即去测试新冠病毒。如果与你在一起的人有病，即使是轻微的小病，你也应当去测测试。如果你与阳性患者相处，即使他们从没有病状，你也应当去测试。我们现在有很多的不同的测试地点都开放，在你等待。测试结果时，很重要的一点是你要自我检疫，即待在家里，远在远离其他人，尤其要远离那些易患重病的高风险人群。That's conclusion for today. Thank you. This episode of LA Public Health was produced by the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Our department is nationally accredited by the Public Health Accreditation Board and is committed to protecting and improving the health of over 10 million residents in Los Angeles County. For more information about DPH programs and services, visit publichealth.lacounty.gov and follow us on social media at LA Public Health. My name is Steve Baldwin, and you've been listening to the LA Public Health podcast.